This is the Edisto TV podcast, connecting the Blackwater region. Welcome back. This is the 18th episode of the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And we are here this week to talk with Garrett Jobsis of American Rivers, based over in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, we met Garrett back in the uh, winter when the issue with the potato farm first came up. And he was involved in the congressional briefings for the um, Conservation Common Agenda, which Ann Timberlake uh, had a hand in. And I guess that's when we met him, right, Tom? Yes. And I enjoyed our talk with him. Before we get to that, though, a couple of items on the uh, on the website, um, both on the Facebook page and on the Edisto TV website. Uh, World Rivers Day was this uh, past Sunday as we record. That was the 28th of September. And uh, we mentioned that in the last episode. I went with my friend Joe Woodard and paddled from Livingston Landing to Rose Bridge on the North Fork below Orangeburg on Sunday afternoon and posted a trip report up on the uh, on the various pages if people would like to check that out. Um, and we had a very good time. You need to come down and paddle that section with me sometime, Tom. I would like that. I, meanwhile, I was uh, on the Delaware River and made sure we got out to the river on uh, Sunday afternoon and uh, enjoyed that beautiful river. I did see a picture that you posted, and it does look like a beautiful river indeed. Um, also, we have a link here that I think you will have more to say about, and that is Gary Spires, who is a lobbyist in the employee of the Farm Bureau organization, um, was talking about the surface water withdrawal law in an article that was published in the T&D. And Tom... Um, would you like to make any response or comments about what Mr. Spires had to say? Yeah, well, he just had he had a couple things to say. Uh, first, uh, one of his quotes was talking about the thing with Walther Farms and all that, and he said, you know, the way he says, a lot of folks got upset about what they perceived to be a large quantity of water. That's and, 800 million gallons a month was the initial registration. Yeah, who does not perceive that as a large amount of water? It's only eight or nine billion gallons a year, just just a trifle amongst friends. Right, right. So that was one thing that kind of irked me a little bit. And then the second is, um, you know, he basically is making the case for an ag exemption from uh, the surface water removal law. He's he's continued to lobby. So, you know, there have been some people that think that the, you know, Farm Bureau may be moving a little on the issue. I think Gary Spires either is not moving, you know, he may not be with the with the crowd if they're moving or uh or maybe he speaks for Farm Bureau, I don't know, but they're certainly posturing as if they really don't want any changes to the water laws. Yeah, um my sort of attitude aside, um, my understanding is that the people at Farm Bureau are in the process of shaping their position. And, you know, I think that what he's saying in this article is a reflection of what their original position very definitely was. We've had some conversations with some folks who are also working with the Farm Bureau folks who um, think that perhaps there may be some room for that position to be modified. Uh, we talked a bit with this uh, with, with Garrett Jobsis about just that part of this issue, so we, we'll we'll talk about that some more. And and certainly we knew that there was that sentiment on the other side of this issue, and um, hopefully we can find some common ground and work to make it so that all stakeholders, farmers and recreational users and residential users and cities and industry can all make use of the water 
without damaging the river. I think that's the ultimate goal for all of us. Yeah, one, his other quote was, um, he said, the Walther Farms marks the first time that the law was tested, and quote, as far as we could tell, it worked. Science supports what was done. And I, I, I think that's ridiculous because, for one thing, the Walthers ended up taking only one-third of what they had originally asked for, right, uh, in the I two th- I think they originally asked for 800 million gallons at Site 1, they withdrew the Site 2 application altogether, and they cut their uh, registration at Site 1 in halves to right. 400 million gallons. So we more. went from 1.2 billion to 400 million, more or less. And um, so, no, the science does not support what was done. If you look at the safe yield numbers right now, we still theoretically could be giving away all the water in the river. And so he's he's... He needs to be educated on this. I really don't know if he's ignoring the facts or if he um, just doesn't have them all. But he's he's definitely, hopefully, in the room with these conservationists and all, you know DNR and all these other people that have the facts. And I just hope he's listening to the facts as they're pre- presented. And I've said this before here on the podcast. I will say it again. We would very much like to have somebody from Farm Bureau come on and talk to us and represent their side of the conversation we'll give them a fair hearing if mr spires would like to join us we'd welcome mr winkles uh so anybody from farm bureau if you feel like we're beating up on you or misrepresenting your positions come on the edisto tv podcast we'd love to have you on tom is nodding (laughs) and um one other item that we have added to the uh facebook page since uh, the last podcast was an article on beach and river cleanup at Edisto Island. Uh, so they did have a river beach cleanup at Edisto Island. I think it's a good thing, and you can read the article there on the Edisto Concerns page. Absolutely. Good to see people getting outside and cleaning up instead of messing up. All right. So we're going to be right back and jump into that interview with Garrett Jobsis of American Rivers after this on the Edisto TV podcast. Hey, this is Tom from the podcast. It's football season, and Tyler Brothers has Carhartt Collegiate Gear for Carolina Clemson and Georgia Bulldog fans. We also have beautiful game day brand boots at $100 off their list price. Visit the store in Wagner or check them out online at tylerbrothers.net. Tyler Brothers, the place to go when you want to stay away from those superstars. For more information and archived podcasts, visit us at edisto.tv. Welcome back to the Edisto TV podcast. We're going to jump right into the interview with Garrett Jobsis of American Rivers. So here is that. Garrett, maybe just start by uh, telling us who you are, uh, what you do, and, and a little about American Rivers and, and how uh, all that relates to the Edisto in particular. Sure, I'm glad to be, Tom. Um, yeah, my name is Garrett Jobsis. I'm the Southeastern Regional Director for American Rivers. American Rivers is a national conservation organization. Uh, we've been around for just a little bit more than 40 years now. Last year we celebrated our 40th anniversary. Uh, and our mission is to uh, protect healthy rivers, to restore damaged rivers, and protect clean water for uh, people and nature. Uh, we are, Our headquarters is in Washington, D.C., and we have offices throughout the, the U.S., and I'm in our South Carolina office. We also have... Um, people located in, in North Carolina and Georgia that represent our, our southeastern work. And uh, we work on a various number of different programs that, um, that are important for 
protecting rivers and making sure they're healthy, uh, not just for fish and wildlife, but for the people who use them, the industries, the recreators, uh, and for local economies. We are really blessed in South Carolina with a, a great number of rivers and a lot of uh, rainfall compared to some of the rivers out west uh, where they've had you know, a, a history of, of low flows, a history of drought. We generally have been a pretty water-rich area in South Carolina, but we're starting to see that that history of being water-rich does not necessarily mean that we're going to have a future of, of being a water-rich state. We have uh, tremendous pressures being put on our water supply. There's been amazing growth anywhere you go in the state, be it in the Greenville area, be it in the Columbia area, be it along the coast. You see that just how much growth there's been over the past 20 or 30 years. And all this growth is putting additional strain on our on our water resources and our rivers. Additionally, we have water withdrawals from industry. We have um, water withdrawals from agriculture. Uh, and so these are putting new pressures on our rivers that we haven't seen before. It is possible that uh, we're going to have the same uh, results if we don't have that, that we've seen in the West if we don't put in place good water management policies that not only supply water for the users but keep water in the rivers to make sure they're healthy and a part of our viable uh, economy. So uh, tell, tell us how the Edisto ended up on your list, uh, nationwide list of, of uh, endangered rivers. Can you, can you give us, tell us a little bit about the process and, and what it is that uh, concerns the American rivers? Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to. Every year, American rivers... Uh, puts out what we what is our most endangered rivers list, and these are not necessarily the most polluted rivers, but they're rivers that are at risk um, of a a milestone event of a big threshold decision that's going to be made during the upcoming year that will affect the long-term health of the river. Uh, we work with a number of partners. We solicit nominations from around the country to make sure that we um, we can identify rivers that really are at risk and that are endangered in the upcoming year. We were uh, working with the South Carolina Wildlife Federation and the Friends of the Edisto River um, on, this, uh, on, the, on the Edisto and some of the uh, agricultural withdrawals that were proposed there really brought the issue uh, to light um, that this river was very much at risk um, if there, was, there were not proper safeguards put in place to make sure there would be healthy flows uh, in the Edisto and also in other rivers in South Carolina. How did it come to pass that just the South Fork made the listing? Uh, at the time, I, I know that I was hoping that the entire Edisto system was going to be listed because it's certainly been our experience with the Edisto Concern site that the more people's backyards are directly affected, the more attention these kind of things get. Uh, and while it's great that the South Fork got listed, it's kind of hard to separate the one from the rest, isn't it? You're right, Hugo. It is, it is all one system. But the, the listing also points out that it's not just the South Fork of the Edisto. It's, it's all the rivers in South Carolina that are at, that are at risk. And that's because of the, the 2010 Surface Water Act that passed uh, in South Carolina. It's a state law that for the first time put in place a water management program that requires permitting and registration 
It also recognizes that certain amounts of stream flow must be left in the rivers. However, um, while agriculture, well, excuse me, while industrial and municipal water users are required to get permits and have to curtail their water use during uh, times of low flow, agricultural users do not need to uh, curtail their use, and they don't really need to get a permit. They just need to register the amount of water they're using. So the the listing, while it highlights what's going on on the South Fork of the Edisto, it does recognize that this problem goes beyond just that stretch of river and actually touches on all the rivers in South Carolina. Do you have any general thoughts on the South Carolina Surface Water Withdrawal Law as it exists? People were working on that for about five years, um, you know, trying to get in place a, a system in South Carolina where our um, where we can be assured that our waters are going to be there and be used wisely. Um, and while the initial goals that some of the people involved had, including American Rivers, were not all met, we did think the law was a good first step uh, in creating a water management, an effective water management program in South Carolina. It did, as I said before, put in place for the first time statewide minimum flow requirements. Um, and it also uh, put in place permitting requirements for water withdrawals from municipalities and from industry. So we think those are two very good steps. There are some there are some deficiencies with the law that that can be improved. Uh, one of the things that we we knew at the time when the legislation was passed that agriculture got special treatment, and while that wasn't you know, a good thing for us. We, we thought that overall it was that the law was better to have in place than not to have any law at all. So there is a real opportunity now, especially since not only the uh, through our most endangered rivers listing, but through the actions of a lot of people, including friends of Edisto and, and others up and down the river and on other rivers in South Carolina, now that we recognize the real risk that's in, at, you know, in place with the current law, that we need to do something to change that and to um, assure that, that there will be enough water left in rivers um, for all users. To encapsulate what the Surface Water Withdrawal Act should be doing, it's a way of accomplishing equitable access to water resources among all stakeholders and still protecting the resources viability as an ecosystem and so forth. Is that pretty on target? Yes, that is. Yeah, as an ecosystem, and also as a uh, you know as a, a, a quality of life um, amenity for a lot of our communities. I mean, people enjoy using these rivers, and if there's not water fl flowing through the rivers, people aren't going to be able to get out there and and use them. And and it's you know while it, it's it's fun, it also can be big business. Um, outdoor recreation is a big business in South Carolina, estimated to bring about 18 billion dollars of uh, of revenue to the, the state's economy. So we need to make sure that the Edisto River stays healthy and that the water is equitably used between different users and enough remains in place so that uh, people and the and the businesses that depend on the rivers uh, can, um, can be prosperous. In recent weeks, Tom and I have, as part of what we've been doing with the podcast, talked about what the ask is that we're after. And our three agenda items that we've come up with 
are that there should be a threshold for agriculture to undergo a permitting process instead of an existing registration regime. We have suggested that ought to be at the three million gallons a month level that currently calls for ag registrations. But we do recognize that a higher threshold might reduce the burden on very small farmers. And, you know, we're not existentially opposed to that. Um, there's also the minimum low flow determination. Uh, we think there needs to be one made for each individual withdrawal point that is licensed. And we're also talking about the need of a reworking of the safe yield formula to something that actually provides for safe yield. Uh, the dry parts of this summer have certainly illustrated that there is a lot less water, for instance, in the South Fork of the Edisto this summer than safe yield would suggest would be there. Um, can you talk about those agenda points and any strengths or weaknesses you might see in them? Yes, those are those are very good um, points. And those are the same things that that uh, you know that you have come up with the same things that we actually were just talking with the um, the Commissioner of Agriculture, or the the Farm Bureau, and the Palmetto Agribusiness uh, leaders at a meeting last week. That there is a need to um, to make changes to our existing law to make it equitable so that it's fair for all users. Right now, and municipalities and industrial users are, are using one set of rules and they're required to get a permit, whereas agricultural users are not required to get a permit. And actually, what the attorneys tell me that have read this is that the law in, in more detail is that the, the law actually sets up a permanent water right for uh, agricultural users, which is also different than the municipal or industrial users. So, so those things do need to get addressed. Um, one thing that you brought up, Hugo, was the the reworking of the safe yield, and that's absolutely important. The way our law is written is it says that the amount of water that can safely be taken out of a river is 80% of the average annual flow. Um, and that is not a safe amount of water to take out. However, it's even more dangerous when um, you consider that agriculture is not required to curtail their use during low flow periods. Um, the permits that are required of municipal and industrial users does require them to start curtailing their use as uh, flows get low to protect minimum flow requirements. And it also requires them to have a contingency plan in place to use alternative water sources during low flow periods. Uh, and that is that is not the case for agriculture. And so um, because of that, it makes the safe yield equation even, even more dangerous because um, agriculture only has to um, get their registration and the way that that water availability is calculated is, is based on this 80% of the average annual flow. They don't have to curtail the use during low flow periods. Yeah, certainly um, the safe yield is is something that that needs to be addressed. Okay, so if since you mentioned that there have been these meetings involving the stakeholders from the environmental organizations, uh, the folks from the Department of Agriculture, Farm Bureau is a big stakeholder. Can you describe how those meetings came about and what their stated purpose is and how that's going? Well, yeah, we the, the, the meetings came about by the interest of the conservation community to to start a dialogue with, 
the agricultural representatives um, to see if we can come up with a, a shared idea of how we can improve the, the surface water uh, regulations in our state. Um, so we, we did have that meeting last week. It was an initial meeting. Um, the agreement was that we would continue to meet. We will have a, uh, a technical workshop later in the fall where we will bring in flow experts to talk about the flow patterns in our rivers. Again, the, the natural flow patterns that doesn't allow one absolute amount to be taken out of the river at any time of the year. Uh, and also uh, educate people about the risks of low flow um, and, and try to come up with some measures that will resolve some of the issues that, that we um, have with current law, including the, uh, the safe yield, uh, minimum flow determinations, and, um, and some sort of a threshold as far as making sure that water is left in the rivers to, to protect them. How does the current conversation that is going on between conservation groups, Farm Bureau, Department of Agriculture, um, does that conversation at some point segue into attempt to craft either an actual piece of legislation or certainly a legislative agenda for the 2015 legislature? Well, I, I think it's premature to talk about really what those conversations will lead to. We, we did have, again, a, a good first meeting where we agreed to, to meet again. The goal is to, to get a better understanding of some of the, uh, a mutual understanding of some of the concerns about the, uh, the Surface Water Protection, sorry, the Surface Water Act as it is, particularly related to agricultural use. And to, um, and then, you know, our hope is then going forward uh, in collaboration with agricultural representatives to to try to resolve those but I can't really say exactly where it's going to lead right now again I'm, I'm encouraged by our first meeting I'm happy that we have uh, a goal of developing a workshop later this fall to to better educate ourselves uh, and uh, some of the decision makers on on why flows are important and some of the flaws in our current uh, law but I I really don't want to speculate on too much on where that's going to go at this time how do we square the circle of the fact that we are at this point of decision on the Edisto where there is this potential critical threshold that we're either going to cross or not cross? You know, it seems like there's an element of time pressure to get something done there. But every time I talk to anybody who's got deep experience in doing these kind of things legislatively, they explain that it's a very slow process. I know Senator Campson at one point early in the spring told me that, you know, we're going to have to do this as a series of small steps, not a large giant stride. But at the same time, you know, do do the rivers have time for that kind of protracted back and forth? Well, we don't we don't know how much time there is really yet. You know, the. 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 The agricultural use, the, the Walter Farm, that really, you know, raised the, the this issue, uh, you know, before a lot of people that really weren't, yeah, you know, to a lot of people that really weren't paying it much attention to before. Um, again, the Walter Farm was a very large withdrawal on a pretty small section of the Edisto River, um, and I want to make clear that you know we don't think that the Walter Farms did anything wrong. They followed the law. Um, and what it really did was just point out how weak our law is. 
Um, so, you know, I, there is no drop dead date that if we don't get something done by time X, our rivers are going to be ruined. Obviously, the more water that's withdrawn uh, under the existing permits, that um, the more concern we have with the existing registration. But um, this isn't going to be something that's going to get resolved quickly. Uh, you know, our, our hope is that there'll be some meaningful legislation discussed at this next legislative session. Um, uh, I don't know that we'll that anything will be passed. Um, and again, given our experience with the surface water law previously, it took several years. And it is going to you know, it's going to be something that we're going to need to roll up our sleeves and and sit you know with the people that are going to make these decisions and come up with something that's going to address um, the interests of both sides uh, and not something that that's going to get railroaded through. It's just not going to be possible. Uh, to, to push something through that doesn't have support. So, um, yes, it is a concern that we have, you know, an, another registration now on the Edisto River uh, that will take out more water. However, there is no, you know, magic bullet that's going to stop that, anything like this in its tracks. And we have to um, give the process of, of, of uh, resolving this uh, time to work. Okay. And, you know, since you mentioned the example of the Walther Farms episode, I agree. They they did nothing wrong. And, and in the fuss that followed, they actually were extremely respectful and they came to the table. And I think, you know, the deal that was worked out with Fred between Fred and Walther Farms was a much better deal than we'd have gotten if we'd have gone to court and won, frankly. But... One of the things that sort of ha has continued to be in my mind about this is at the time on the Edisto, that initial 800 million gallon a month registration that they made was pretty breathtaking. And since then, and since all the interest that's been shown in the issue from, you know, the grassroots level, the people at DHEC have been extremely obliging in letting us know when there have been additional registrations of agricultural withdrawals on the Edisto watershed. But I've been struck that there has been no mention of any registrations on any other South Carolina surface waters. Um, has, does that mean that there haven't been any or that they're just telling us about the Edisto or do you know? Well, we don't know that there are any others and we actually are, you know, have um, talked with DHEC uh, and we have, Working with the Wildlife Federation, have requested a copy of all the registrations that have and, and permits that have been issued under the existing surface water law. Um, that information is still coming, but at least in our discussions with them, um, there are no other agricultural registrations that we've been made aware of. So, um, you know, the, the law went into effect in 2010, and the Walter Farm uh, registration was the first one in the state. So these are not things that happen every day, um, but but it is a, a real concern. I mean, it, it can be that um, you know that that the Walther Farm issue and the water withdrawal issue has raised awareness not only among conservation groups but among other water users who now want to get their um, make sure they get their water registration in place. So um, so we could see additional withdrawals coming that. Um, that has not been, you know, what we've been seeing since the law has passed. We could see an acceleration of that. Um, but, but at this time, other than the, the, the two on the Edisto, 
I'm not aware of any new registrations for agriculture. Um, there has been at least one new permit issued that was in the upstate uh, Pickens County area um, for a uh, municipal water use, but those are the only ones that I'm aware of that have occurred, either permits or registrations. Why aren't these people who are out in California unable to get water or in Colorado unable to get water going to look over here and say, man, South Carolina looks juicy and they've got these easy laws compared to what we operate under here. Let's go over there and grow something. Yeah, we do need to make sure we don't become the next uh, you know, San Joaquin or Colorado River, which you know is, is basically dry by the time it reaches the Mexico border. Um, we need to make sure that our rivers stay healthy. The advantage we have is that we can point to examples like that of how bad it can be. And we also have a very deep intrinsic value in South Carolina of our, our wild places, and including our rivers. So, um, you know, there are things that we can do, and there is, there is concern. You know, the concern has been raised by the editor. It has been kind of the beacon uh, that, that's shown, you know, light on the, the problem we have. And um, so we are, we have gained momentum. Um, one thing I'd like to point out is that and we, we listed the Edisto as one of our most endangered rivers last year. Um, there were about 2,500 uh, letters sent to the governor, the president of the Senate, and the House Speaker, um, at, you know, petitioning them to change the law. Um, now, we are a national organization, so some of those were not from South Carolina, but we did have over 400 letters from South Carolina to our elected officials. So uh, people, you know, that are making these decisions, the, the governor, the, the speaker, and the president of the Senate uh, are aware that this is happening and people have spoken out. Um, you know, that the, uh, the, old, the, the old rule of thumb was that, you know, if you, if an elected official got 10 letters about an issue that was a crisis and now they have gotten 400. So we we know there are um, things that are moving that we we expect again there has been some legislation already introduced uh, last session we expect there to be more this session and um, we uh, you know we need to work to make sure that we don't become you know the, the poster child for poor water management and that our and make sure that we can actually continue to to tout the great um, rivers we have and the benefits they provide. It seems like that the existing formula or law or both create a situation where you're guaranteed to over allocate the resource if you actually allocate all of the existing safe yield. How sustainable is that situation and what do we do to fix it? Well, Hugo, you're absolutely right that it, that, um, it will allocate more water than is actually going to be there for the, for the vast majority of the year. Um, so two, two things happen, uh, you know, that, that, that are happening is, is one thing that when it comes to industrial and municipal water users, they, um, they well, 80% safe yield is also being um, used to calculate how much water they can take out. They are required to curtail their use again during these low, as the, as the flows get low and approach the, the state minimum flows that are set up in the law, and they have to have a contingency in place. So, um, so for those users, uh, 
they are, you know, they're going to be looking at how much water is actually available rather than just the safe yield. They know that, um, you know, if, if the state allocates out 80% of the water of, of the average annual flow, but they know that during three months of the year, it's very unusual for that much water to be there, uh, they're going to take that into their calculations uh, for how much water they want to withdraw or if they're going to locate a plant there. Um, the, the, the difference is in, with agriculture, again, they're not required to curtail the use, um, and, but they're still, they're still going to be evaluating how much water is actually there. Just because the state says 80% safe yield is their magic number, um, a shrewd business person, which is, you know, what farmers are, farmers are business people. That's what they do. It's, uh, they're growing crops rather than producing, um, you know, manufactured goods, but they are business people who are, who are savvy and who can see how much water is available. Um, they are not going to, in my opinion, um, you know, invest a lot of money depending on a flow that's not going to be there, even if the state says they feel uh, is, is higher than what it's you know, what really will be there. Uh, at the same time, the, there is a great risk that, um, that especially during low flow periods, um, everybody is going to be trying to, you know, all the agriculture users are going to be trying to suck their water out. And, uh, and we can, you know, we could theoretically suck the river dry. So, um, so again, there, there is a real concern. It, it does have a different twist, be it, you know, a municipal agricultural, municipal or industrial user versus an agricultural user. Uh, but the um, again, the uh, the safe yield is especially problematic when it comes to agricultural users. So a whole lot of Garrett Jobs is there. We did have a fairly lengthy conversation. Um, this was edited down to fit into the time that we have for the podcast. But um, most of the other stuff we talked about we will be bringing to the table on future editions of the Edisto TV podcast. Uh, before we wrap it up today, Tom, anything on what Garrett had to say there? I thought it was very interesting, actually, to have a look through his eyes at how the South Edisto came to be listed and also um, his perspective on how we might be able to find some common ground and make some progress on the Water Withdrawal Act, the Surface Water Withdrawal Act issue with our friends from the agriculture side of the table. Yeah, he, he like others involved with the legislature, uh, seems a lot more optimistic than I personally have been. Uh, just he, he thinks that, you know, like compared to the San Joaquin River or whatever, you know, he doesn't think we'll ever be in a position where we're sucking our rivers dry. He thinks that the people of South Carolina and the laws that currently exist will, will prevent that. So, you know, he's hopeful, but he also acknowledges that we need to get some something changed, you know, very soon before these folks come from California or whatever and try to take the, the water. All right. Well, I certainly hope that he's correct in his assessment of uh, the future safety of our rivers, but I do think that certainly his position with American Rivers uh, puts him in a position to understand that there are no guarantees and that, you know, if we're going to have our rivers in the future, we need to protect them now. True. All right, that wraps it up for another edition of the Edisto TV podcast. This has been episode number 18, and we'll be back in about a week with episode 19 right here on Edisto TV. This is the Edisto TV podcast, produced by Edisto TV, connecting the Blackwater region.